This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. It's really my pleasure uh, to introduce, I think this will be the third in our series on uh, healthcare reform implementation issues uh, in California. You may recall we had... Uh, Peter Lee here to kick it off. I think it was back in October on the exchange. We had a presentation from Bruce Bodakin, the uh, president or immediate past president of Blue Shield, and also Larry Levitt from the Kaiser Family Foundation. And this now is in the third in our series uh, to hear about the governor's report released on December 19th, Get Healthy California. And we're really pleased to have with us today our Secretary of Health and Human Services, Diana Dooley. And I'm going to give you a little bit of Diana's background, not all of it. Uh, Most importantly, she is serving as our Secretary of Health and Human Services and doing an outstanding job in the judgment of many of us in in leading that complex organization at a very uh, challenging time in our state's history. Uh, She also is a member of the Benefit Exchange Board that Peter Lee uh, is leading. She also serves on a number of other committees at the state, the Olmsted Advisory Committee, Alzheimer's Disease and Related Disorders Advisory Group, the Child Welfare Council, Managed Care Medical Insurance Board, and the list goes on and on and includes the Strategic Growth Council as well. Prior to her current position in the Brown administration, she served as the president and CEO of the California Children's Hospital. We have eight of them here in the state, and they provide about 40% of all the care for children in the state. She actually began her career, though, at the State Personnel Board uh, a number of years ago and served uh, on the staff of Governor Jerry Brown during his first term uh, at that point in time. She received her law degree in 1995, uh, actually was in the private sector running a public relations and advertising agency, uh, was in private practice of law as well, uh, before becoming the general counsel and vice president at Children's Hospital Central California in Fresno. And from that, again, uh, to the uh, CEO of the uh, children's uh, organization in the state. She's very active in a number of community organizations, including being past president of Planned Parenthood, the Visalia Chamber of Commerce, and the Central California Futures Institute. I've had a real pleasure of working with Diana over the last probably six or seven months in two capacities. One, uh, she was a key member of our Berkeley Forum, our own report that came out, uh, I think, on February 26th uh, on creating a new vision for California, mostly from the private sector. Diana was a very reasoned voice in those discussions and uh, clearly uh, uh, contributed to the quality and insight of that report. But also in the last six months, a very quick time frame uh, when the governor announced the Get Healthy California, Diana and Pat Powers led that initiative and I had the privilege of serving as uh, one of the uh, advisory task force to that initiative. So what she's gonna talk about today is uh, uh, Get Healthy California, how we're going to make the aspirational goal, which is to make California the healthiest state in the nation by the end of the decade and at an affordable cost 
uh, as well. So Diana, it's terrific having you here. She's going to talk for maybe a half hour, entertain about 15 minutes or so of Q&A. She has an emergency meeting she needs to get to in the city, so she does need to leave around 5 or shortly thereafter, uh, but we can field uh, some of the questions if you still have questions at that point in time. Diana, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much, Steve. Um, it is my pleasure to be with you, uh, and I apologize uh, about the, the timing. I, I always try to do more than, um, than will fit in. I say, thank goodness, there are only 24 hours in a day because we just all fill them up, and I know you're very busy people um, as well. <clears throat> I want I, I do, as Steve said, want to talk a little bit about uh, how we are trying to do it all in California. Uh, the Affordable Care Act is a very ambitious undertaking, uh, as you uh, have uh, understood and all that has been written about it. It is the very most ambitious um, thing that this country has done in the way of health care. Uh, they say often since 1965 with Medicare and Medicaid, uh, but I really think it's even a, actually a much bigger lift than that because when you start something from nothing, it's a lot easier than changing something that has 40 years uh, behind it. We have built a system. I loosely call it a system. There really isn't a system to health care, I would suggest, uh, in uh, this country. Uh, but Rube Goldberg himself would not have built a system that looks like this. Uh, it has been pulled together. I'm an old farm kid, so we used a lot of chewing gum and baling wire on the ranch, and uh, that's what this feels like. We keep solving problems a little bit here and a little bit there, and uh, we're certainly seeing that as we're trying to move in a comprehensive way uh, to um, make the promise of Obamacare real in California. Um, but we have a lot of programs programs that have been uh, adopted and that we administer in one-off kinds of ways to meet uh, particular needs, uh, whether it's from family planning or HIV AIDS or mental health or substance uh, use disorder, um, <clears throat> all of these things. We have thrown a little bit here and there, and we have a very, very complicated organism that we are trying uh, to make sense of. Don Berwick, uh, who is a long, long leader uh, in the field of uh, public health generally and quality uh, improvement, specifically with um, the Institute for um, Health Innovation, uh, and was Obama's first uh, director of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, uh, partnered with me last spring with this six-month effort uh, to frame uh, a blueprint that we called Let's Get Healthy California. And we did it around his theme that he articulated so clearly of what he calls the triple aim, uh, better care, better health, lower cost. Um, and so we took those principles of uh, looking for ways that we could improve the healthcare delivery, give people better value, and improve population health. Uh, it was very ambitious. We set out to do it in two parts. Um, what you measure matters, I'm convinced. I've worked for many years in healthcare to try to find quality metrics. I've been working with the Institute of Medicine on just coming up with some core metrics around that triple aim of better health 
health, better care, and lower cost. Uh, it's very hard to do. I often say measuring quality in healthcare is sort of like the Supreme Court and pornography. You know it when you see it. Um, it's very difficult to um, come up with metrics that uh, are well appreciated. And I spent a long time with the hospital industry in the last decade uh, around a project to come up with uniform standards that the health plans uh, would agree to use. And we spent many, many um, thousands of hours and thousands of dollars um, uh, to come up with a plan that was finally accepted. And at the end, the plan still all used their own metrics. And so it's not very well used. So setting the quality measurement aside, we decided that what we needed to do to determine whether we could be the healthiest state in the country, we had to decide what that would look like. And to decide what that would look like, we had to decide what would we measure. So we spent three months um, looking at what we already measure. One of our goals here was to come up with something that wasn't um, starting over anywhere. And so I thought from my 15 years in healthcare, which is relatively short amount of time, uh, that that there were probably scores of measures that already existed. I didn't understand that there were hundreds of measures that already existed. Um, and so we set out a framework of, of uh, themes that we wanted. So we began to define what the, the triple aim would look like in California, what some metrics were that already existed, and what we should set as our targets. So that took us from June to September and then from September to December, we began, we collected examples of innovations that are already happening. Our goal was to not start something new. Everybody has an overlay of a lot of hard work to do to implement the Obamacare uh, here. But um, we came up with 39 measures in six categories. The report is available uh, at the agency website uh, if you want to see the full report. Uh, our agency website is... Uh, uh, CHHS, California Health and Human Services, uh, uh, .ca.gov. So the website is chhs.ca.gov, and there's a tab at the top that says, let's get healthy. Um, those uh, indicators that we adopted fall into uh, six categories. We have what we call health across the lifespan, which are healthy beginnings, living well, and dying well, and I'll come back to those three categories. And then um, the pathways to that, to those goals would be creating healthy communities, which deals with population health, lowering the cost of care, which deals with finance, and redesigning the health system on health delivery. And there are a lot of initiatives going on in all of these areas, but we tried to bring it to something that we could really point to uh, and work on and bring some order to the um, many, many activities that are going on. Uh, in healthy beginnings, clearly uh, we're talking about uh, early life and early health and prenatal health and infant mortality and maternal health, but we're also talking about uh, uh, school readiness and reading and um, uh, 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 some of the um, indicators that, oh, uh, one of the things I wanted to say, to start talking about disparities, but across all of this, of all five, six of these frames, we have health equity, and we have incorporated eliminating disparities in health through all of these um, six, six categories. 
uh, living well. Uh, we were dealing with preventing and managing chronic conditions, uh, identifying ways that um, uh, we can do that better through integrated and coordinated care, but also patient responsibility and engaging patients in their own care. Uh, and uh, dying well, we recognized, is not an aging issue. Uh, living well is at any age, and dying well as it is at any age. Certainly, in my experience uh, with children's health and the uh, children's hospitals deal with most uh, seriously ill and injured. So we were dealing with death at six weeks and six months and six years. Um, so dealing with the um, uh, dignity and choices and um, the uh, compassion that goes around uh, the importance of how we live, but also how we die. And we thought that that was an important conversation to have in terms of being the healthiest state uh, in the country. Um, the three categories of population health, uh, the cost and delivery and financing, uh, the cost of financing and how we deliver care uh, relate to all of those other categories. And so I'm not going to go through the 39 indicators and the work that we're doing, but we have created six work groups that are now carrying on uh, the ways that we can use um, the website and public appearances and uh, illustrate uh, to Californians how they can be engaged uh, in making California the healthiest uh, state in, in the nation. We received a grant uh, in the course of this. Uh, we applied for a grant for the Centers for Innovation at uh, the federal uh, uh, CMS, Centers for Medicaid and Medicare, uh, and were granted that grant, uh, that award, to design a system of finance reform. Much of the conversation around the Affordable Care Act uh, has been around um, reforming the system, and there are lots of words that are used. We have health, uh, home health, health homes, medical homes. Um, uh, the, we, I just talked with Leslie here about healthy at home for mental health uh, service delivery. Um, there are accountable care organizations. There's the Coordinated Care Initiative. There are bundled payments. There are, there's reference pricing. There are a lot of words that the people who use them know what they're talking about, and the general public um, doesn't really get what we're talking about. We have, and I, I said this on day one in this job, and I understand it from my experience, that central to the Affordable Care Act is a recognition that we have to move away from a unit pricing system. A fee-for-service system values um, uh, uh, volume. We, we have to move away from volume and into value. To, to really value, we've got to have quality measures or outcome measures. We've got to set targets. And we've got to move to a system of some kind of different pricing structure besides piecework. Um, we can't pay for every ver uh, visit and every test and every procedure and every um, uh, device and every drug. Uh, we have to find some way of collectively being interested in health instead of interested in illness. Um, the system that has built up over the 40 years of payment, and I worked for Governor Brown the first time, and by 1975, five, 10 years after Medicare and Medicaid were first um, enacted, we were already then in the second generation of cost control. Uh, because when it started in 1966, uh, people just sent their bills in, and everybody paid cost, and the government was 
upside down, you know, the second year out of the box and started looking at ways we had certificate of need. Some of you may remember when we thought we could control cost by controlling construction. And so we set up health systems agencies all over California and we tried to decide whether a hospital needed to have 50 more beds or whether a clinic needed a CAT scan piece of equipment. Uh, that lasted about 10 years. We went in 1983 to a system of contracting for hospitals trying to control cost. And then of course in the 90s we went to managed care. Managed care had a lot of problems uh, early on. It was completely dominated by the plans and started very quickly uh, to get a, a sense that it was insurance companies taking our money and not providing care. And so at the outset of this conversation that began with Obamacare in 2010, really in California it had started much before that, recognizing the need to reform the system, was the recognition that we've got to talk about coordinating care from a patient standpoint and not from a payer standpoint. And one of the big hurdles is getting over the perception that people have of HMOs, health maintenance organizations. And it's sort of like a lot of things that we see with people criticizing government. You know, government isn't the solution, it's the problem. And, and, but except when it came to the conversation around Medicare, and then it was keep the government out of my Medicare, with no appreciation that something they really like is actually government. Um, and I think that's the same way we have a little bit with HMOs. People like Kaiser, and Kaiser is held up to be the gold standard of integrated, coordinated care in a capitated system. And yet people don't think of that as an HMO and that it is the, you know, the mother of all HMOs uh, is Kaiser. So we have to move the thinking that nobody can really navigate this complex health system by themselves. We all need some kind of manager or coordinator or someone who is helping us get to the right person at the right time with the right level of care. But there's a lot of apprehension uh, about managed care, but it is at the core of the uh, theme of Obamacare that we can't pay for every single unit as a unit cost, and we've got to put somebody uh, at risk for being uh, interested in health instead of, of uh, illness. That can't just be the payer, and it can't just be the physician. It has to be a coordinated uh, program of care that we are trying to do. So we're looking at all the different labels and names that people use, but recognizing um, that coordinated care is at the heart of it. Uh, we're doing that with a uh, demonstration. Uh, the Affordable Care Act allowed states to apply to be have a demonstration of coordinating the care of uh, what we call dual eligibles, people who are eligible for both Medicare and Medicaid. Medicaid is the national term. Medi-Cal is the California term. Um, and there are completely different products and programs. And so people, and you can be eligible, where, while Medicare is primarily a seniors program, it isn't exclusively a seniors program. People with supplemental security income uh, and disabilities are eligible for Medicare at many ages. And so what the dual eligibles, those that are eligible for both, are those with chronic conditions or disabilities or people who uh, are high users of healthcare because of their uh, position in life. 
but the medical part of it is paid for by Medicare with no understanding of what wraparound services or support services or long-term care services are needed. And Medi-Cal pays for those long-term support without having any engagement or involvement or coordination of the medical services. So it's long been understood that if we could coordinate that care for that population, which, and you, they call it 550 or 80-20, whatever it is, the numbers that you use, 50% of the cost is spent on 5% of the population or 20% of the uh, population uses 80% of the cost. It's still the proportionality is there that we spend a, a very high percentage of our um, uh, uh, investment in healthcare uh, on a very limited population. And as an insurance product, that's what the insurance companies have been so good at that is another change of uh, under Obama, Obamacare that you can't just look for healthy people and sell them insurance and exclude people who need services. So the whole issue of no pre-existing conditions or what's called guaranteed issue in the insurance industry is the recognition that you've got to, you've got to level this so that we're not asking the government to pay the highest cost and that we're spreading that cost over the whole population. But the problem with that is that the people who are healthy, who are buying really um, uh, not, we call them the skinny plans, but plans that don't have very much coverage because they're healthy and they don't think they need it, are now going to have to buy a more comprehensive plan because we're providing comprehensive benefits to everybody. So there's going to be a really hard transition next year as we start moving into the implementation um, of Obamacare, but over time it should level out and the idea is that if you have universal coverage you're not going to have some people falling out of the system and falling into um, the Medi-Cal program that pays after you've lost everything and you, you have no uh, income, uh, you, I mean you have no assets um, to support you, then the, the government comes in and takes care of that. So. It's leveling this out and getting to a point where uh, we can have coordinated care, people can get the care they need when they need it, uh, is the ideal. It's going to be a, a heavy lift to get there, and there are going to be a lot of complications uh, with that. Uh, and so what we're trying to do uh, in California is... Um, do as much of this as we can from the outset. There's no state in the nation that has embraced Obamacare to the degree that California has. Um, but it isn't going, it is, there are going to be some, some rocky places. Um, we are going to have some capacity problems uh, with putting upwards of a million people uh, into a system with an expectation that they're going to be able to get to a provider. Uh, the, the payment rates are the lowest for the Medi-Cal uh, in the country, in large part because we've been so efficient, because we have uh, gone to managed care faster than any other state because we have controlled the cost of hospitalization better than any other state. Um, but it's sort of like the limbo bar. You know, how low can you go? We really can't go any lower and get under this bar of, of, uh, of uh, adequate care. Uh, I will say, however, that even though we have the lowest cost per beneficiary of any state in the nation in our Medicaid program, we have consistently uh, at or above average outcomes. And some of our outcomes are extraordinary, like infant mortality, where we're a leader uh, in the country. So what you pay isn't necessarily what you get, and that's what we have to maximize. We have to find where are those efficiencies 
that are really working for the benefit of the patients and the value of this program um, quickly enough um, that we don't um, uh, run into problems both with capacity and, and with cost of care. Um, there are a lot of um, concerns uh, that people have, but I do believe uh, in Don Berwick's goal uh, and President Obama's goal uh, that we can uh, improve health make the care better and lower the cost, uh, but it's gonna take a lot of cooperation from a lot of people. And as we often see in a very time of very uh, dramatic change, uh, people get to into a hoarding mentality and people wanna hold on to what they already have because they're afraid of the future and they don't know what's gonna change and when it's gonna change and how it's going to affect them. So um, there are a lot of um, uh, worried participants um, looking forward uh, to making this work uh, in California. Um, but we are doing, we're moving on a lot of fronts uh, and we're moving uh, very, very quickly. Um, you, there, I, I mean, I'm just thinking of all the things that I could tell you that we're doing, uh, some of which you know, some of which you don't, but one of the things that occurred to me about, I, I think always of where, where is it going to go wrong and when is it going to go wrong and how am I going to fix it fast enough? That's sort of my three o'clock in the morning um, uh, uh, visions. Uh, and one of them is IT. We're building a completely new IT infrastructure uh, to support a new enrollment and eligibility program. The Affordable Care Act uh, will make it easier for people to enroll in Medi-Cal and um, it will make it easier for them to stay in Medi-Cal uh, than currently exists with, with the current rules. We're putting two completely different products side by side. Medi-Cal is a, um, is a health delivery government-sponsored program that doesn't operate anything like an insurance plan. You don't enroll in Medi-Cal when you're healthy the way you do in an insurance product. When you're sick, if you're eligible, you get on Medi-Cal. And so the eligibility, and the eligibility is retroactive. So if you, a lot of the eligibility in Medi-Cal comes from a provider. Somebody presents at an emergency room or in a clinic or at a doctor's office. They get their information. They find out they're eligible for Medi-Cal. They go ahead and provide the service, and then they apply for Medi-Cal, and Medi-Cal goes back uh, to the point of, of service. Um, so enrolling isn't that critical from a timing standpoint in Medi-Cal. Insurance, on the other hand, is based on indemnification, so you have to have a balance of healthy people and sick people, just like in homeowners. Nobody, everybody doesn't expect their house to burn down. Everybody doesn't expect to get in a car accident to use their insurance, but they buy insurance. Most of us buy homeowners and and and. Uh, auto insurance, hoping never to use it. People don't buy health insurance hoping never to use it. They buy health insurance and they expect to use it. And some people try wait until they need it to try to buy it, and then it's very expensive. Obamacare is going to change all that and level out those prices so that healthy people are going to pay more than they pay now and sick people are going to pay less than they pay now. But it's going to be available to everybody. So it's very important at the outset to get as many health people in the pool, healthy people in the pool, as possible 
possible. So we've got a market to, to get people to enroll and to buy the health insurance. But when we do that, we're going to get a lot of people into Medi-Cal who are healthy that we already have a fixed price to pay for them that is based on sick people, not on healthy people. That's maybe a little too in the weeds for you, but it is a huge issue for me to deal with in estimating the cost of the Medi-Cal expansion when we're going to design one system that is going to enroll in both by the same people so that when you go to the website or you go to a certified application assister in your church basement or you go to a clinic, they're going to go through a test and you're going to be told, yes, you're eligible for Medi-Cal or you have uh, an insurance product and you can buy it. And depending on your income, we're going to give you a subsidy and we're going to calculate that subsidy. And by the way, we're going to have to train 25,000 people in all these details by July. Um, welcome to my world. Um, so uh, it's very complicated. It's going to be hard to do, um, but we are very committed to doing it and doing as much of it as possible as quickly as possible. And that leads to the front pages of the stories that are very timely right now in terms of how we are going to do the Medicaid expansion in our partnership with the counties and a lot of pressure uh, to uh, expand even further. Uh, I got a question before we started here about undocumented. Uh, the people who are undocumented, uh, we have m several million in California. I, I always say I'm a social scientist. I don't do numbers, and so I don't really remember the numbers, but I think it's in the tune of like two or three million. Um, well, there's seven million uninsured, but the number who are undocs are not quite half, uh, I think, uh, of the people who are uninsured. Um, but they are not only not included in Obamacare, they're expressly excluded from even buying insurance with their own money on the exchange. So it is a serious problem What, how we will continue to provide care for that population. But we've got us, I have to set that problem aside in order to get the basic part of Obamacare uh, up and going, and I hope that they will address that when they deal with uh, immigration reform, which they say they are going to do in Washington. But that was a federal decision that wasn't ours, and we've got to deal with what we have to do at the county level and at the state level uh, with being prepared to accept this um, funding that the federal government is offering in January for the populations that are eligible under the Act. So there are a lot of places where there is strong advocacy um, for us to do more faster. For example, we have 13 approved languages in California for Medi-Cal, and we are working to make all those languages uh, available in the exchange and with Medi-Cal uh, from the start. Um, but there are hundreds of languages. I mean, when I was at Children's Hospital, we had 106 languages that we used telephone. A lot of people want us to have live people. We can't have live people in that many languages. We're going to do it for 13 languages. No other state, even the federal government with their federal uh, exchanges, they're doing two languages, English and Spanish, and maybe not Spanish in some places. So as frustrated as groups get in California that we're not doing everything, we're doing so much more than anybody else is, and I am committed to doing as much as we possibly can, but we have to do it in a sustainable and responsible way that we're not either overreaching and trying to do more than we can reasonably do within the time that we have, uh, or 
having it not be sustainable so that we, that we go out too far, too fast, uh, and we've got to pull back. Um, Governor Brown is notoriously cheap. I worked for him in the 70s, uh, and I'm telling you, he can't rub two nickels together. Frugality, in fact, I was joking, we now have a Jerry Brown Pope. Everything about Pope Francis is Jerry's aesthetic Jesuit training. It comes through in everything he does, um, but he is bound and determined not to go backwards on the two years that he's invested in getting this budget balanced. And so he is immensely worried that we'll get caught in the federal deficit deficit issues or that uh, we'll have problems sustaining what we start. So um, there's some tension around that, and there are certainly advocates that uh, want us to go a lot further than we feel comfortable to go, but we are all moving in the same direction, and we are doing a lot of very good work, and we're making life better for millions of Californians uh, by uh, implementing Obamacare. So um, with that, Steve, I hope I've been provocative enough to get some questions uh, and foster some conversation with you. Uh, And I regret that I'll have to leave in about 20 minutes. Um, But uh, I do have a couple of people here, Jim Soonan from my staff and Valerie Mitchell from our office, uh, who can stay and engage and either answer or record questions to bring back to me if you have the appetite to stay longer than I can with you. Great. Thank you, Diana, very much. We're going to open it up for questions. We have a couple of mics. We'll hand the mics to you because this is being uh, recorded for posterity's sake as well. So questions uh, while people are ready. Okay. Over there. Start over there. Right there. Hi, my name is Vanessa, and I'm a patient navigator at uh, the Petaluma Health Center. We're an FQHC, and so I help people connect with insurance, and they've been asking a lot of questions about the exchange and things like that. And so we're wondering, since CMSP in the area, the county medical Mm -hmm. insurance program, already covers the population that's going to be eligible under Medicaid expansion, how is that transition going to work for them? If they're already covered by CMSP, Mm -hmm. how are they going to get into Mm Medi-Cal? And also, we've had a lot of experiences in the difficulty from the healthy families transition over to Medi-Cal. What lessons have been learned from that, and how are you going to use that Mm -hmm. in the CMSP transition? Mm -hmm. Uh, Good questions. And the uh, California, under the Schwarzenegger administration, worked with the Obama administration at the very beginning after Obamacare was enacted and created what they call a bridge to reform, which was a a waiver process with the federal (laughs) government that brought in $10 billion over uh, five years to reform the county delivery systems. And a part of that was to create what are called low-income health programs. And these low-income health programs are the way in which people who are not under the current rules eligible for Medi-Cal are getting a Medi-Cal-like program with the anticipation that those people will transition after January 1 either into Medi-Cal or to the exchange, whatever they're eligible for. There's a lot of variation in the counties of how they have operated these low-income health programs. We are currently evaluating how to do the full Medicaid expansion in January with the funding from the federal government to either expand and um, make uniform the low-income health programs 
or take the expansion population and add it to the Medi-Cal population. Uh, most of the counties prefer the state, the, the integration of the low-income health program into the uh, state Medicaid program. There are advocates that want to maintain the low-income health program for like the NDOCs and for others. Uh, all of that is being um, uh, worked on right now on how the best way to do that is. Um, but our intention is to have that resolved by the fall so that it will be a pretty seamless transition. But no transitions are really seamless. The move of uh, healthy families' children into the Medi-Cal program is, again, a way to eliminate all the different kinds of programs so that ultimately we'll have Medi-Cal and purchased insurance but Healthy Families is just one distinction. We've got many state-only programs that we are not going to transition at the outset, but that over time we want to simplify and get so that people can understand, uh, and we don't have to have armies of people to understand all the different programs that people are, are eligible for. Um, but... Um, it's a big lift to get there, but we are pushing as hard as we can. And with regard to being able to answer the questions that people come to you, they come to us as well. Uh, we are working backwards from the open enrollment period that will be in the fall um, to transition people into one product or another. Um, but it's sort of like getting everybody ready for the dance and not starting the music. You know, we can't really start the massive public information campaign until people can actually pick up the phone or go to a website and do something. You know, if we, if we had it all out there now, they'd be calling the 800 numbers. And we've got people answering 800 numbers now, but they can't do anything until the end of the year. So working backwards from that, we're designing the training programs now. So we'll be training the trainers. Uh, we're building the IT system. We'll work with all the existing uh, application assisters and navigators that exist under the current system and make the transition to the rules that are required under the... Uh, Obamacare, um, and over the summer we'll be starting that uh, public education. We have a massive um, budget that the federal government, the federal government is paying all the costs of the exchange, which is now called Covered California, uh, that will um, do the marketing and outreach um, to um, answer some of these questions. In way, and we're doing a lot of focus groups and working uh, to to be ready to go. Um, so the health families transition will be completed by the fall. And again, that is to keep uh, the, the first part of that transition. Um, almost 100% of the kids have stayed with the same plans and over 99% have stayed with the same providers. Um, we planned it that way so that those that were that could stay in the same place would stay in the same place. Uh, and we're looking to have that coordinate with the exchange products or the covered California products um, to have as much consistency with plan and provider as possible. The plans are out negotiating on their networks now because we're in the negotiating process for what they're going to sell uh, on covered California. So there's a lot going on. I know there are a lot of questions, and it's very frust frustrating for frontline people not to be able to get the answers. Um, but we're getting the answers as quickly as we can, and we'll be providing them once there's something people can actually do with the information. Yes, ma'am. Uh, thank you for your talk, Linda Newhauser from the faculty here. Uh, very thorough and easy to understand, a very hard topic. You mentioned the problem of big words and how hard it is for the general public to understand this. And I wondered uh, what the plans are to help people like uh, the assisters 
and other people try to get information at a level they can understand. So one of the things we've done here at the school is to do a study of the materials that are available right now. We found them, you know, close to a college reading level and the average person reads around the eighth grade. So what are the plans to take that kind of information or to create new information that would be easier for people to understand we're working on that very issue. We have uh, contracts and subcontracts with marketing and public information uh, groups. Uh, we're testing it in focus groups. We're working with uh, community groups and ethnic groups. We have uh, grants that will be going to community uh, uh, educators uh, th throughout uh, California. Uh, and we're addressing it in, and we're aware of the issue, and we are addressing it uh, in every way we can. Some of the information that has um, been difficult uh, in the past is uh, in part because it comes to us with a lot of requirements. Uh, CMS is, um, with all due respect, uh, sort of a micromanager. And so there are a lot of regulations that come to us that we're still working with them now to try to manage. And so they have sort of a 30,000 foot idea of what should work on the ground and it doesn't always translate. And I will admit that uh, there, even the relationship between the state Medi-Cal program and the county programs is hard. And the county programs, uh, each of them has their own idea. You know, um, words are only as good as the people who are using them. And uh, it's v this area particular, and I have always been, when I started many, many years ago uh, in state service, I refused to use acronyms and everything about um, state services acronyms, EDD and SPB and CDCR and HHS. And, and I refuse it. I use words. It's what I said when my kids were little. Use words, Megan. Uh, so that's <laughs> what I do every day. And everybody laughs at me because it's sort of become a thing. Use words. Diana wants words. Um, but it is related to that sense of speaking in a way that people can understand and respond. And so it's a very high priority to me. Uh, and I'm doing everything I can as chair of the board of Covered California and as the agency secretary over Medi-Cal uh, to make it. We just hired, I, I'm revamping the Office of Patient Advocate, and the goal of that office now is to be the patient within government, not to be another clearinghouse or another 800 number, but to be some group that is trying to read it as though they were a patient, to try to look at the benefits. When we lay out our matrix at the uh, exchange about trying to compare apples to apples, that we want that to be read as someone with a sixth grade or an eighth grade uh, education. So it's a goal. We may not be there, but wanting to be in the right place, I think, is a good first step. Thank you. Seth. To follow up on the question about undocumented people, um, it sounds like one of the main problems with um, figuring out how to provide health care is that the federal system has expressly excluded this group of people from funding. Mm -hmm. um, and I was thinking about other times that that's happened and what California has done, and I was thinking specifically about stem cells when the federal government said none of our money, none of our research money can go to stem cell research, and California said, okay, we think this is a resource we have, all the scientists we have in the UC system and Stanford and everything, and we want to take advantage of that, so we're going to create our own system. Um, and I'm wondering if we, as California, should recognize the undocumented people who live in our midst as a resource who we want to support in some way, and what 
possibilities there might be in the future for that? I think in the future, um, I frankly, I, I, I don't have any more bandwidth uh, right now. But let me tell you a few things. There are certain services. There's emergency medical under certain circumstances, and the counties, through their indigent care obligation, provide a significant amount of resource now to people when they present. It's not ideal, it's not preventive, and it's not population health, but it is something through the requirements uh, to treat all those who present in emergency rooms, for example. It's why so much care is delivered in emergency rooms, and we haven't recognized that. But I think we fundamentally have to change the conversation from cost shifting of how we're paying for things by shifting costs to what the basic unit cost of healthcare in this country. It is a crime to me that we have the quality that we have for the cost that we provide when you compare to any other industrialized nation uh, in the world. Uh, nobody spends what we spend and gets uh, as little back for it. We have very good care in this country, but we pay a lot for it, and we have to have the conversation about unit cost of delivery. I don't. I mean, it's hard to do right now when we're trying to do everything else, um, but but the um, effort to address this issue may be something that California will pick up, but it, they aren't completely without care now. And part of the tension in our proposal for Medicaid expansion is the recognition that the state of California has about a billion and a half dollars each year that it spends on health care that the counties provide. Much of that obligation of the counties will be relieved with 100% funding for those people who will be eligible for Medi-Cal. We can't pay for that twice. And so the tension that's going on right now about how we expand is actually a negotiation between the state and the counties over the allocation of risk and funding. Um, and so, and many counties are arguing, well, we have all these undocumented that will still need care. Let's leave that state money in the counties and let them use it for the undocs. Well, that would be fine if we didn't have unmet needs for that money too. People want to add back adult dental. They want to provide funding for mental health. There are uh, any number of unmet needs and we should have an honest conversation and not just say because the state has been providing that funding to the counties that the counties should have the right to use it any way they want to. Um, so that is a hard conversation but it's an honest conversation and it's the one we're having uh, in Sacramento right now uh, with our county partners. Yes, Lisa, uh, Leslie. Yes, Hi. Leslie Reed. I'm uh, working with Mental Health uh, America at California on developing health homes for individuals with serious mental illnesses, as we mm -hmm. spoke about earlier. And uh, given the possibility of extra bandwidth to create health homes here in California, in combination with the California Endowment's pledge to pay the 10% um, state match for these, I'm wondering where health homes might come in on that enormous list of considerations of projects you're working on. It is a priority, but it isn't at the top of the list right now. Uh, there are there are so many good things that we should do, and our primary issue right now is getting the lift on the Medi-Cal expansion and the Coordinated Care Initiative broadly uh, to make that happen. We're changing the way we're paying hospitals in um, uh, July. We are making the transition of healthy families to Medi-Cal. We made the transition of uh, seniors and persons with disabilities last year. Uh, we have got a lot of foundational steps. 
steps. And um, I've been interested. I've talked to Bob Ross. I've looked at what the California Endowment wants to do. And it's frustrating for, for them to see that there is an opportunity for a 90-10 uh, share. But we, we have to get the foundation laid. And we don't have that in place yet uh, to start building on that. But, but it is something that I'm interested in. And we will get to um, as soon as we can. Yes, ma'am. Health Improvement Partnership of Santa Cruz County. I was wondering if the state's doing anything to address um, primary care capacity and workforce development. Um, We're identifying and recognizing uh, the, uh, as everybody reports, and uh, that the lead time on training uh, physicians is very long. Uh, there have been a number of steps that have been taken. Uh, I think there is no question that we're going to have uh, capacity challenges uh, when we get uh, to this. And a lot of the response is just to pay more. Uh, we can't just pay more uh, for the same kind of people and the same kind of care. Uh, we are going to have to have some some really honest conversations about the right level of care. And part of our coordinated care initiative, for example, is a part of that conversation where we think with more support in long-term support and home care, for example, we can keep people out of institutional care and we can train home workers to, to help people stay in their home and avoid care at a higher level. We don't, even, we don't even need any scope of practice conversation to do that because home care workers and companion care right now does that and we want to do more of that. But there is a broad range of, of um, uh, health and para-health uh, uh, professionals that, that could do more than they do and we've got to have that conversation and I think that will come when we can't get everything done in the way that we have delivered care um, in the past. But again, it's, uh, it's something that I recognize. I've got some other things that I've got to do first. Although the conversation is starting, Senator Hernandez, the chair of the uh, uh, Senate Health Committee, I had a press conference last week um, really talking about the need to have scope of practice conversations. Uh, and I think that will continue. Um, and um, it, we will do more training. We need more training. I met this morning with the UC Riverside that are people who are trying to get their medical school lifted. Um, there are a lot of needs that, that people have, um, but at some point we're going to have to circle back to who does what, when, and where uh, and reconsider some of our concepts of what you have to see uh, each different kind of professional for and uh, how we can expand the notion of that, you know, for physicians included um, in that conversation. I, I go ahead. Thank you. Perfect. Perfect. Thanks. I just said I'm, I'm Jeff Oxendine. I'm associate dean of public health practice. I've been working with the state health workforce development Great. council, and so I just wanted to tag on to what you just mentioned. And, right. and I agree that you have other key foundational things to get in place. And I uh, just wanted to know uh, that we have a health workforce development council plan that's been taken two years to put together about health workforce, and we'd just like to see how we can align our efforts with you. Great. Better. Bob David so, is the uh, director of right. the department of. Um, 
state health planning and development, OSHPUD commonly called, uh, but it is a, a workforce and workforce pilots. In fact, we just finished a, a very successful work, workforce pilot with uh, UCSF uh, and got some legislative authority to continue it until we can actually get it over um, uh, uh, nurse midwives and uh, uh, nurse practitioners uh, uh, providing early-term abortions, which was very difficult and very sensitive, uh, but very successful. Uh, and um, we have finally got a little bit of legislative light on that. So we'll continue to look at those kinds of pilots. Great. Yes, ma'am. I'm the School Public Health Faculty. Um, I just wanted to check, it sounds so efficient when you describe these sort of two that you're aiming for, systems of care where you'll have private insurance and Medi-Cal, but there's all these other sort of niche programs at the state level and things like maternity-only care, you have FPAC that's really for family planning, and frankly, workers' comp, which is a whole oh, other that's system. That's a whole other subject. Just wondering. <laughs> just yeah. Auto insurance. Just yeah. wondering, is the conversation going on about yes. how you can streamline further? Absolutely. The Labor Secretary is Marty Morgenstern, and he and I worked together in the first Brown administration, and we talk. In fact, he's going to be at the meeting I'm going to right now in San Francisco. Uh, the, the Gosh, I don't even know where to start on how important it is to look at workers' comp. It's a complete separate delivery system that makes no sense uh, in, in, as it fits into the rest of the delivery system. Um, it's very, very important. Uh, and on our radar, uh, certainly we'd like to uh, address some of that. And, you know, part of the worry that some, you know, we, there were a lot of advocates of single payer. And Obamacare is not single payer. Obamacare is built on a capitalist economic chassis that already exists. Everybody's making money. And so it's really popular to point fingers at the insurance company and say they're greedy, but there aren't any not-for-profit physician groups, and the not-for-profit hospitals don't operate any differently than the for-profit hospitals, and the pharmacies, and the device makers, and the home health workers, everybody makes a lot of money. I've worked at a children's hospital, and in every single community, the people in healthcare make more than their neighbors, and it is an economic engine everywhere you go. So while we talk about wanting to reduce the cost of healthcare, it is a huge, in fact, there was, I, don't, I would recommend to you if you didn't see Steve Brill's cover story on Time Magazine a couple of weeks ago, but he said the amount that the medical industrial complex spends on political advocacy is four or five times what the military industrial complex spends. So it is, it is business. And part of that, it, that economic environment that healthcare is is worried that Obamacare is a slow path to single payer instead of a fast path to single payer. Um, and I don't know, I mean, I don't know that we'll ever get to single payer, but we are gonna get very quickly to single purchaser. Uh, we're only gonna have a few purchasers in this system. But even with the power of Medi-Cal and the power of the public employee retirement systems, it's like negotiating with OPEC. And I used to be on the other side of that OPEC table. I was a hospital and people needed kids care and they paid a lot for it, um, even though we were a 70% Medi-Cal provider. So there is a lot of money in healthcare. Everybody talks about, and Don Berwick, my dear friend, says 30% of it is uh, either uh, 
inefficient or worse harmful that a lot of healthcare provided isn't necessary and isn't needed, but not one single person has ever come in my office and reached in their own pocket and said, here's my 10 cents. I am inefficient to this degree and I will offer it up. Everybody gives me a suggestion for how someone else could be more efficient. <laughs> And nobody is. Uh, so we've got a lot of really hard work to do. And it's going to be painful. And we've got to have conversations with patients because patients think they need everything the system tells them they need. And I'll give you just a quick vignette. And thank you for watching out for my time. But this, this, the report came out three or four years or five years ago. Uh, all these experts said that women in my, I won't even tell you what my categories is, but I don't need an annual mammogram. I read it all down. I don't need an annual mammogram. I was just shaking for the two years I'd spent waiting for that two years to go get a mammogram because I was so, it was in my mind I had to have an annual mammogram even though I was in every category of someone who didn't need it. But the uh, American Cancer Society and the pink ribbons and everybody said, same thing with colonoscopy, same thing. I could go down a list of procedures that we've been convinced that we need that are expensive uh, and that if our doctor tells us we don't need them, we want a different doctor. If our plan, if our insurance company tells us, we go to the insurance commissioner or DMHC and complain about discriminatory practice if someone tells us we don't need what we think we need. So everybody walks in with their WebMD printout from the computer and they tell their doctor what they've got, what they need, how many tests they want, which purple pill they need. Um, and so it's very difficult to get at the cost question. But we're trying and with your help we will make some progress. Thank you all very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.